Howdy. What's going on? Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. It is heard live every day, by the way, from noon until 3 on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content, invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with links, become a patron. Go to the PeteCallanerShow.com. This podcast is also supported by North Carolina businesses, so please consider supporting them. Try not to skip through their short ad. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And thanks so much for your support. Good news for the Speaker of the House of North Carolina, I guess. Um, I mean, he is. Tim Moore is the Speaker of the House of North Carolina. But, I mean, I guess this is good news for him that he no longer faces legal allegations that he destroyed another man's marriage or traded sex for political favors. I guess he took it back. Scott Lasseter, an assistant principal for the Wake County Public School System, last month filed a lawsuit against Tim Moore, alleging that Moore had a relationship with Lasseter's wife. Moore denied wrongdoing in the case, saying that his wife, Jamie, had told him, Tim, that she was separated. Just give me three steps, mister. That's what he's not... That's what he said after North Carolina is one of the few states that allows jilted spouses to sue somebody for interfering in their marriage. The cases are rare and hinge on the spouse's ability to prove that a third party is responsible for the demise of the marriage. So writes Paul Specht at WRAL. These uh, this law is called alienation of affection. And basically it, it is but for your acts a marriage would have survived, it would have remained intact, right? Had you not done what you did, had you not, you know, injected yourself into the relationship, uh, you know, pursued uh, one of the, the, the one of the spouses, you know, I'm assuming the, the wife, but I don't want to make any assumptions nowadays. It's like you pursued one of the spouses and, uh, and you broke up the marriage. You're a homewrecker. That's alienation of affection. And that's what this guy, and by the way, whenever... Not whenever. A lot of times when these cases come up like this, somebody files a suit. They, they rarely ever win, by the way. But uh, the, the news coverage then prompts more people who are going through divorce proceedings to inquire with their attorneys about alienation of affection and whether it could be used in their uh, divorce proceedings. And chances are no, um, because if it if it could have been, your attorney probably would have already suggested it to you. But the fact that the attorney did not suggest it to you probably means that uh, it's not a viable option. But, yeah, you probably wasted some money asking, yeah, billable hours and all of that. Anyway, um, Jamie Lasseter, the wife, rejected these claims from her husband in the lawsuit. She said Tim Moore did not ruin their marriage. She called her marriage a nightmare. She referred to the lawsuit as outrageous and defamatory. On Monday morning, Alicia Journey, an attorney for the husband, Scott, told WRAL that her client is no longer pursuing the case. This matter has been resolved, Journey said. And an attorney for Tim Moore confirmed that the matter was resolved. Details? Yeah, we're probably not ever going to get any of the details. 
Most alienation of affection cases are resolved out of court, says one lawyer that WRAL spoke with. Scott Lassiter's lawsuit also contained explosive allegations that Tim Moore not only lured Jamie Lassiter out of a happy marriage, but that he also engaged in group sex with people who sought political favors. No word on Madison Cawthorn's presence at any of these events. Jamie Lassiter works as an executive director for the North Carolina Conference of Clerks. That's a government-funded entity. And while she was in this post, she saw her salary increase 50% over the same time period that she was having the, quote, casual relationship with Tim Moore. And kudos to Andy Specht over at WRAL for pointing out that the people that decide her salary, have Tim Moore has nothing to do with that. So at least they mention it. And it was based on a report that they had done, well, Travis Fain, and you know me, far be it for me to praise Travis Fain for very much. I feel like I also need to come up with a verb. Journalisming related, you know, like a journalisming related verb for when you get feigned <laughs> or Travis feigned. I don't know. Anyway, he wrote a couple of days ago that she saw her salary increase 50% over the life of the affair. The raises have garnered attention from political observers. I, okay, I'll tell you who the political observer is. That's Brant Clifton at the Daily Haymaker. That's where that came from. Brant Clifton went and pulled the salaries for uh, for this woman and her, you know, because they're state salaries. You can look them up. And he went and looked up the salaries, and he put it out on his blog, Daily Haymaker, and, and he's a conservative. And he put it out there going after Tim Moore. And so Travis Fain, I'm not sure if Travis has ever used Brant Clifton as a lead generating source before, but first time for everything. Um, so he goes and he, he looks into this. The salaries are decided by a committee, the committee of superior court clerks. They come from all over the state. The legislature does not set her salary. The president of the conference, fellow by the name of Jay Yancey Washington, who has been on the committee since 2016 and an officer since 2018. So he's been there the whole time. He said Tim Moore had nothing to do with the raises. But that's what he would say if he was trying to cover it up. Washington said he didn't even know that Jamie Lyles Lassiter had a relationship with the speaker, which was publicly revealed this month as part of a lawsuit. Um, her raises were based upon performance and achievement. Also, Jamie says that the conference members would not have known about a relationship with the speaker uh, and that I do an annual review like any state employee. So, Jamie Lasseter started in 2016 in this position as this conference of clerks of courts, whatever the... She, was, she started as their director in 2016. Three years later, the relationship starts. Um, in July of 2019, her salary was 80 grand. Since July 2019, it went up to 122,000. 
The raises are well above what rank-and-file state employees received during that period. However, they're not out of line with raises that she got in that job before her relationship with Moore began. Oh, well, wait a minute. Let's see. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. 11 paragraphs down, we find out, oh, that she was getting these types of large percentage increases in her salary before she was in a relationship with Tim Moore. Huh. Well, that sort of would undermine the whole she's getting the raises for sex idea, right? If she's getting the raises before and she's getting the raises after and the people that are giving her the raises, they're not under Tim Moore's control and they don't even know about this relationship. And it kind of blows up the whole, that whole rumor, doesn't it? Seems like it does. Maybe that's when I'll call feigning. Where you, where you set up the whole argument for the top of the story only to blow it apart. How many paragraphs are in this? There's 11, there's 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. Okay, so more than halfway through the story. I got to write this down. I got to write this down. All right, now you've heard me talk about them. Old Grouch's military surplus. They're expanding with more ways to get your hands on authentic U.S. military surplus items. Go to oldgrouch.com. Check out the links for the online auctions for rare finds and the vintage shop. Unique, really cool items. From modern tactical gear to historical collectibles, Tim at Old Grouch's is always finding new stuff. When I started the podcast at the beginning of the pandemic, my first advertiser was Old Grouch's. If you enjoy the show and derive any value from it, I'm hoping that you will consider supporting one of the businesses that make it possible. Lots of gift ideas for that person who loves the military style for fashion or decor. There really is something for everyone at Old Grouch's Military Surplus in beautiful downtown Clyde and online at oldgrouch.com. I wrote it out. Okay, feigned. You've been feigned, or he feigned the story. Named after Travis Fain, W-R-A-L. Where you blow up your story's premise more than halfway through the story. Right? You blow that so that's what the term is now gonna mean. I think. We know we're gonna have to test we're gonna have to test it. It's this right, we got proof of concept coming. We're gonna have to now kind of monitor. I got it written down here, so it'll be uh, easily seen. And uh, you know, during all my shows, I got it a pad here. It'll be right there. So we got to test it. So the next time we come across a Travis Fain story, we see, does he blow up the story's premise more than halfway through the story? He sets up the whole argument or the framing of the narrative, and then more than halfway through, boom, one little piece of information completely blows up the story that he was telling you that, by the way, you know, they call this the, uh, the inverted pyramid. In the journalisming biz, they call it the inverted pyramid, where the most important information is supposed to be at the top of the story. That's why you get those long run-on sentences, by the way. It's terribly written most of the time. These long run-on sentences, it's written to try to cram all, as much of the most important information as possible into the first sentence. Because they know most people don't read past the first sentence. If they even get to the first sentence, past the headline. So they give you a big blaring headline to try to suck you in and try to make you read the article. And then they know that when you read the first sentence, you're more likely than to just stop reading. And so 
they know this, and so they put fewer and fewer uh, pieces that are, of information that are important in the story. And so if you get halfway through, the, but that's a, that does not mean that there's not important pieces of information later on in the story. Sometimes you'll hear it referred to as burying the lead, you know? So he framed that whole story, big raises for a woman who was dating House Speaker. Yeah, and they, they want you to question, and look, I don't, you should question it. You should question the salaries, but they, they, they front load the back end. So when she's getting the raises while dating Tim Moore, they, they put that information first. But is that the most important information? Because when you find out that she was getting raises in the years before she was dating him too, and that the raises are actually not at all connected to Tim Moore, they're approved by some other committee, not even under the legislative purview. So, and nobody even knew about their relationship. So that kind of undermines the entire premise of your story. So that's faint, blowing up your story's premise more than halfway through the story. We can, we, we can make adjustments. As needed. All right. Do you live in Mecklenburg County? School bonds. Who's excited to vote for some school bonds? School bonds have typically been an easy sell in Mecklenburg County, writes Christina Balling and Tony Messia at the Charlotte Ledger. Voters usually approve the bonds. See, this is why I say some things never change. Just like media outlets refuse to call the largest and best fireworks display in the Southeast. They refuse to call it the WBT Sky Show, despite the fact that that is its freaking name, and you never call us that. But also, everyone expects school bonds to pass until they don't. And about 15 years ago, right about the last time something at a Sky Show happened, and everybody was now super interested, um... Right about the same time was uh, the last failure of a school bond package in Mecklenburg County. And people are kind of worried that it might happen again. I mean, I don't know why. Public education, particularly this school board in Charlotte Mech, they, I mean, they've given nobody any reason to doubt their competency or credibility over the last year or two or three, right? The ask is $2.5 billion. They did ask for three, but they got talked down, <laughs> you know, coaxed, if you will, by the body that will set the amount, the county commission. They had concerned, the county commissioners had concerns about the tax increase that would come as a result, which, by the way, I just, that's an applause for local politicians, particularly Democrats, who for 20 years refused to acknowledge that bonds raise your taxes. Oh, we're just borrowing it and we'll just pay it back and with money that's coming in. No, but it raises your, you approve the bonds, it raises your taxes. And so at least now they acknowledge that they were concerned about the tax increase that would come as a result of a bond as well as other recent issues. Gee, whatever could that be? Recent issues? like leadership turmoil, student performance, new school assignment boundaries, all listed in the Charlotte Ledger. We'll give you some more details on that. Also, uh, some folks up in the mountains are very, very upset that they're going to have to vote their school board by district. 
outrage, giving people closer representation to themselves. Oh, hey, real quick, before I forget, Carolina Readiness Supply is prepping for its annual Heritage Life Skills event. It's coming up in July, and you can learn how to be better prepared and self-sufficient in the event of any emergency. Things like homesteading, canning, water storage, radio communications, herbal remedies, home defense, fermenting vegetables, all sorts of stuff. This is what Carolina Readiness Supply does. For beginners, all the way to the most experienced preppers, Carolina Readiness Supply can help. Get your tickets now at carolinareadiness.com. That's carolinareadiness.com. Veteran-owned Carolina Readiness Supply. Will you be ready when the lights go out? All right, so this year's school bonds could be a tougher sell. The Charlotte Ledger has a piece the other day by Christina Balling and uh, Tony Messia. They do really good work over there, by the way. So if you're looking for a local publication to subscribe to, to support, this is a good one. Um, County budget meeting this month, three commissioners voted against putting a $2.5 billion bond referendum on the ballot, saying they worried that voters would shoot it down and then it would lead to higher taxes. They supported a lower amount of a billion dollars. Pat Cotham said, I do not think the voters will approve $2.5 billion. There were so many people upset about the redistricting maps or the rezoning maps, you know, for the South, uh, South Mech schools. There's a lot of angst in the community. So many people who are not happy during COVID with CMS as well. She was joined by Commissioner Vilma Leak, who said she heard from church leaders they're worried about the effect of higher taxes on low-income communities. They wanted me not to support this process, which she overuses the word process. She says process for everything. Things that even aren't processes, like whatever. Um, Two and a half billion for the school system, she says, because some of the concerns that they have. Our people cannot afford to pay an increase in taxes in this process. They're, again, okay. Commissioners voted five to three to support the $2.5 billion. Cotham, Leak, Arthur Griffin... He voted no, too. He may have wanted more money. I don't know. They don't say why he voted no. Arthur Griffin was the former school board chairman. I I don't think I've ever seen Arthur Griffin vote against any kind of funding for CMS ever. He was the school board chair when Vilma Leek was on school board. Now they're both on the county commission holding the purse strings. And they vote against the $2.5 billion, saying it's too high? My gosh. Vilma Leek, Arthur Griffin, they've joined Pat Cotham as right-wingers. Holy smokes. Voters have struck down CMS bonds in Mecklenburg County before a $427 million bond package was rejected by voters in 2005. And oh my, I was here for it. I was covering it. This was my beat. And oh my goodness. Like, if you're one of those people that are like, oh, I want to collect all the liberal tears. They taste so good. I fill my coffee mug with them. If you, like, find the humor in that, you ain't seen nothing until the day after a school bond goes down in defeat. Oh, yeah. You get you get the, I guess I overestimated people's respect and love for the children. They must really hate children. They must want all children to die and be stupid. You get the most ridiculous responses after a defeat of a school bond. Because when that when that bond went down, they came back with a smaller bond and they got it. So taxes would rise. 
Potential for ratings downgrade. In a presentation to county commissioners, David Boyd, the chief financial officer for Mecklenburg County, showed a slide that said that the county would need to raise property taxes by a total of three cents per $100 evaluation. One cent per year. So your property tax, and that's just for the school bonds. You want parks, right? You want to maintain current service levels in inflationary times, like, all of that stuff is going to mean more tax increases. Oh, and after you just got your property re-evaluated, revalued, right, the property revaluation, that now your property is worth more. What was it, a 12 or, yeah, there's like a 12% increase in the median home sale price or something year to year. So, yeah, people are getting nailed by GovCo. It is what GovCo does and does very well. The county will also need tax increases of $0.02 cents per $100 in valuation during that period to pay for plans uh, for construction for uh, libraries, parks, and other buildings. If they borrow the same, uh, Boyd said borrowing the full amount would put some pressure on our bond rating. Things are going well. Going well. The business community, you may want to sit down for this one, they are lining up. In support of the $2.5 billion bond. That there, that never happens. I'm kidding. It always happens. Now, just a heads up and a warning. Uh, school people, school personnel, you are not allowed to uh, lobby for the, and, and, for, and to campaign for the bonds using school resources. Taxpayer-funded resources, you know, so you can't put the messages up on the school signs out front, right? You can't, you can't be all campaigning on taxpayer funds. Okay, um, the uh, Charlotte Mecklen, or sorry, the Charlotte Regional Business Alliance. I guess this is what they they used to be the chamber. They changed their name, I guess. Uh, the Business Alliance will campaign for the bonds, which could build up to thirty new schools. Um, the group. A combination, oh, here, of the Chamber of Commerce and the Charlotte Regional Partnership successfully campaigned for $226 million in city housing and transportation bonds. Atrium Health, American Airlines, Novant Health, and Bank of Earth, uh, Bank of America, sorry, are among businesses that participate in the business group. Okay, whatever. Um, this is from the Charlotte Observer story. The campaign's political action committee called the Coalition for a Better 2050. That's pretty far down the road, though. Better 20. I mean, I hope the schools are built before then. The last time bonds failed, again, 2005. Um, the election is uh, going to be November 7th, and it is this year. So it is an off cycle, uh, non, you know, even year general election. So you're not going to have the president's race, and you're not going to have really anything. It's just local stuff, very, very local stuff. I, and I don't know. I don't know what that does to the prediction model, you know? I mean, I could say what everybody says, it's going to come down to turnout. Well, yes, that's like saying whoever wins the game is going to be the team that scores the most points. At the end of the day, whoever's leading on the scoreboard wins the game. Like, uh, yes, that's correct. That is how we measure these things. So, yes, it all comes down to turnout. All right, so the governor has vetoed three bills Three bills that were passed in the legislature. They will now go back to the legislature for a veto override. First, 
a bill designed to keep biological males out of girls' sports, the Parents' Bill of Rights, and a ban on gender transition surgeries for kids under the age of 18. He vetoed these. I have his veto statements. I can only guess what these things are going to say. I'll read them during the break. I'll read them during the break, and, uh, and then I will bring the information to you so you can roll your eyes all the way into the back of your head to see your brain, just like I'm sure I will. Looking over these, um, the veto overrides, or sorry, the vetoes that I'm sure will come up for overrides. The first, Governor Roy Cooper, objections and veto message. And by the way, thank you for forwarding this over to me. Um, Parents are the most essential educators for their children, and their involvement must be encouraged. But this bill... Senate Bill 49, which is the Parents' Bill of Rights. This bill will scare teachers into silence by injecting fear and uncertainty into classrooms. This don't say gay... Oh, my God. Really? This don't say gay bill also... Which it's not. This is so... God, he is so stupid. Sorry. This bill also hampers the important and sometimes life-saving role of educators as trusted advisors when students have nowhere else to turn. The rights of parents are well-established in state law, so instead of burdening schools with their political culture wars, legislators should help them with better teacher pay and more. Yeah, pay the commies more. That's what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. These radical, these radical critical theorists, right? That have that have infiltrated the schools. And, and they are training up the next generation uh, of revolutionaries, right? Just, they deserve more money. Pound sand, Ray. God, so annoying. Please override this buffoonery. All right. Uh, next up is an act to prohibit gender transition procedures for minors. Have you seen your brain yet? I've just seen mine for like the fourth time. A doctor's office is no place for politicians, and North Carolina should continue to let parents and medical professionals make decisions. Wait, wait, I thought the parents were trying to kill their kids here, Ray. You just vetoed the parents' bill of rights because it will hamper their ability, the teacher's ability to get the kids out of the, the, you know, these demonic parents that just, no, you're going to be cisgender. But now you turn around and you veto this for the opposite reason. Let parents and medical professionals make decisions about the best way to offer gender care for their children. Ordering doctors to stop following approved medical protocols sets a troubling precedent, particularly when we want to do eugenics. How dare you ban eugenics? I'm sorry, I just lapsed into... I mean, okay, fine, it was like Democrats from like 60 years ago, but same... Uh, rationale applies. He says it sets a, a troubling precedent and is dangerous for vulnerable youth and their mental health. The government should not make itself both the parent and the doctor. <laughs> the gut. Wait, hang on a second. We've got a Democrat on record saying that the government should not make itself both the parent and the. Oh, okay, never mind. I thought I, I thought we had a breakthrough moment there with my good friend Ray. But now that I read it for the third time, I see the wiggle room left, right? The government should not make itself both the parent and the doctor. He just wants it to be the parent. 
his beef is that it's the parent and the doctor. See, there's the weasel words. I thought we had a breakthrough moment. I thought he was saying that government should not be the parent. And that's true. They're not your kids. They're not your kids. You only got them for eight months out of the year, nine months out of the year, teachers. Sorry. Then they go to another class. And you can call them your kids all you want during the school year, but you know as well as I do, next year they're gone. And they may remember you, and you may remember them, and it's nice to see them and all that. Not your kid. Not your kid. Uh, so that got vetoed. Yeah, that got vetoed. Um, the gender transition. Pre- so, by the way, um, are we okay with girls getting implants, breast implants? Young girls getting breast implants? Do they get to do that? Is that okay? Going, you know, normal going through puberty. They're they're you know, straight girls, whatever. They're not trans. They they just they're self conscious about their body and they they want to. Get these enhancements. Is is it okay for those 14-year-olds to go get implants? That's a great question. A listener sent me a couple of uh, weeks ago when we were discussing this, and the more I've thought about it over the last two weeks, what is the excuse for why you, why you wouldn't recommend that a young girl get implants? I can see no, no other argument that would persuade me not considering the arguments being made to persuade me for the exact same types of interventions. Right. Oh, it's too, you know, they're going through puberty. You don't want to interrupt that, but don't we, does it matter? Why would it interrupt? They'll just get bigger and bigger. Right. Oh, it could have complications. Oh, does that matter? Do complications matter at this point? I, I thought we, Though we accepted that they don't, that all the complications are not um, are it's it's worth it, it's more value to have all of the complications than to live as not your true self, right? That's the thing that has to be paramount. And all the complications, the lifetime of medications, the body's rejection of various surgeries, hormones, and such, the you know the the deterioration of your uh, your organs assigned at birth, let's say, um, right? Your internal stuff, some of the internal stuff, like the deterioration and the decay and stuff breaks down and has to be removed and all that. A lifetime of this stuff. All of that is worth it in order to affirm what you believe you should look like when you're 13, right? That's the standard. So what would be the argument? So no argument there on the implant. So it's a... I think it's a fair question. All right, here's the uh, last veto. This is um, an act to protect opportunities for women and girls in athletics. So we know what this is about, right? This is don't let the boys join the girls' teams and beat the crap out of them, right? Um, Quote, we don't need politicians inflaming their political culture. I love, like, this is a response to you. This is a response to, this is the guy that made HB2 the centerpiece of his initial campaign for governor, right? Needed that issue. Needed it. And, of course, the angry anti-toll lane folks in North Mech. Needed this as the issue. To the point where he, he told his Democrat colleagues in the legislature, don't you dare sign on to that fix with the Republicans before the election. You will have no role in my administration. Won by like 
0.1%. We don't need politicians inflaming their political culture wars by making broad, uninformed decisions. But wait, that's what you guys are doing. About an extremely small number of vulnerable children that are already handled by a robust system that relies on parents, schools, and sports organizations. Republican governors in other states have vetoed similar bills because they hurt their state's reputation and economy and because they are neither fair nor needed. Therefore, I veto the bill. There you go. Governor vetoed three bills. I'm out of time to talk about the uh, ins and outs of these bills. I have, I've got all the show prep here to do so, but I've just run out of time. So we'll pick it up here tomorrow. Who's really launching the culture war, though? Really? I don't think it's the folks on the right. I think they are reacting to the war that has arrived at their gates. I'll see you tomorrow. Don't break anything while I'm gone.